listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns, right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. Hi, everybody. Tonight, it is November 16th, 2015, and we are your co-hosts, Bill, that's me, and Nancy. Um, and I want to say happy birthday to my mom and to Trostel. Trostel happy I think birthday, mom, and yeah. Trostel. And Trostel. Trostel is a person on Belgab, the forum, and you can continue with your opening. Burns, and we are on <laughs> Future Theater Live. Broadcasting from the banks of beautiful Primrose Creek in downtown Solbury Village, Pennsylvania, on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio with our wonderful producer, Angel Espino, the Jackal. Say hello, Angel. Hello, Angel. And Nancy did not waste any minute at all today or any second <laughs> in butting in. For- <laughs> and I promised, I promised uh, several people in the tweet that I would never, ever do it again. But there's so many things to talk about tonight. I'm Five so seconds excited about- in, Nancy does it. <laughs> yeah. Well, also, hi to Keith, our master overlord. And- Darth Keith, yes. Yeah. Darth now, Roman. there's a couple of really cool things uh, in the Art Bell universe that I want to mention. Since we're the lead-in before the Art Bell show, um, and we're also the show following Mac Maloney. Remember Mac Maloney? He's now on Dark Matter. Guys. How can I forget? Who can, that's, who that's can forget boy. Mac Maloney? Yeah. There you go. Mac okay. Maloney. Military UFOs. There exactly. So he's our lead-in, and, he, and I want to thank also a big shout-out to Danny and to Chris Brown, uh, you guys know Christopher what you did. J. Brown. That's, we're putting well, the they helped me out tonight when I was sort of slagging behind on my show prep. They helped me out tonight, and I want. We have such a nice team of people behind the scenes, and also I just want to give a shout out to Diana X, another Bill Gabber and friend who finds really cool stuff for us. And you know what she did for me for the fun of it, because she's just a music expert. She figured out, she found all the bumpers that are on our show and that you play that I have never been able to properly identify and get, and she found them and sent them to me, so I have them. You see that? And I believe bumpers Mac that I Maloney. Play? Yeah, the bumpers you play, and Mac Maloney, I think, okay. is one of the bumpers, believe it or not. There, there is a bumper with him in there, yeah. Yeah, you see that? Mm-hmm. So His music is synch- there. Synchronicity. And um, so there are two really cool things in the uh, Art Bell universe. One is uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, the wonderful Jasmunda has been building up a supply of YouTube things where people can go and just press on it and get a little taste. And he put one up this week that is the Bill and the Malachi Martin thing. And I want to say to our listeners, um, if you have questions and if you want Bill to talk about that in more depth, please write to us and ask for that. And also, um, I can point you to a few of the older shows we've done in which Bill has talked about it. Um, I have to figure out which one. Okay, when you were talking about Malachi Martin, who would have been our guest? Joel. Uh, Joel Martin. And Joel Martin. Remember, that Malachi Martin story <clears throat> was in UFO Magazine. So uh, if we can find the issue where we talked about um, – the CIA contact 
who told me that story. That whole story is in UFO Magazine. Okay, and and you know what? I'm I'm going to be able to put that up. People can have it for free. I am moving right along the big news for me. Before I say what the big news is, I want to continue to who our guest is because we've not mentioned. Um, and then I have another Keith thing. It's cool. So our guest tonight is Jesse Randolph. Okay. And if folks aren't yep. familiar with his name, you might be familiar with UFO Not UFO Not Radio. No, no, no you, you said it wrong. UFO Not Radio. UFO Not Radio. UFO Not Radio. UFO Not like, Radio. It's like Ukraine. Something yeah. Like that. Well, he now here's the thing. I I did my prep work for tonight by listening, to, and I put a link in in uh, on um, Jesse's show page on futuretheater.com. You'll see the, a link to Angel's show from October seventh, right. in which Jesse was his uh, second or third guest of that second night. Guest. Second guest, yeah, yeah, and um, it's a wonderful interview, and I really think uh, uh, that we're just going to continue it. Um, first of all. You call Jesse your mentor. In a, in a lot of ways, he is. Yeah, so yeah. I want to talk to Jesse. He's he's partly what created you. responsible for everything <laughs> that you see before you when yeah. you look at my pages. So it's Jesse. It's all Jesse's thing. fault. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, and I've said it before, I said it on the show there, you know, the first real radio show online, or a show that I thought was, like, legit doing something really important that I heard and I was, like, hooked on uh, was UFO Think Tank with Alejandro Rojas. Uh, and I found Alejandro Rojas' show to be fascinating, but then I heard Jesse's show, and I was like, wow, this guy's amazing. Yeah. And yeah. this, and, and you know, which, I listening. Show was the, which show was that? Was that UFO Not Radio? UFO Not Radio, yeah. I heard his show because of Alejandro's, and, okay. I, started, and I became addicted to the show. Like, his show was so good. I thought he was going to be, like, the next uh, big breakout star on radio when it comes to, like, uf- ufology and this kind of uh, this, these kind of subjects, um, and he's done really well. You know, he's done other things, and we're going to find. Well, out that's more what we're going to talk to him about right. tonight. And but I mean, I'm surprised yeah. that he is not like a prominent host on a network somewhere. You know, uh, as the main guy talking about this stuff because he knows his right. stuff, folks. I mean, this guy knows just about everything. In fact, before it was popular to have him on your show, uh, Richard C. Hoagland was actually on Jesse's show on Euphonaut Radio on Block Talk Radio. And mm-hmm. he does not ever do that. He doesn't go on Block Talk Radio and do shows um, there. He barely ever does interviews on other people's shows. In fact, it took many years, a, a bunch of dumb luck, and a really, really cool Keith Rowland uh, to hook it up to get him on my show. Because I, I even tried once uh, separately, and he you know, ignored me. Because I'm oh. a nobody. But Jesse, he went on his show, and it was awesome. And it was actually well. the first. It was yeah. the first time I called in, and I actually spoke to uh, Richard, and it was cool because I called in as a fan. You know, it wasn't like I'm right. a host. I called right. in as a fan, talked to him as a fan. Uh, it was really uh, surreal to be on on the air with him uh, because at the time, this was t- I'm talking about six, seven years ago. Back then, do you it was, remember I was still what fresh. Your, yeah, do you remember what your question was? Um, Vaguely. I remember it was more like a statement with mixed in with a question. Uh, part of the question was about disclosure, I believe, but it was more like I, you know, I that I, you know, to tell him that I supported, you know, a lot of the stuff that he's done over the years as a fan, and I really, uh, you know, I look up to a lot of the things he has done uh, when it comes to his lectures and whatnot, and how important it is to ufology, and I thank him for his work, and uh, you know, I told him that I hopefully one day a lot of the stuff he's talking about gets proven uh, to be fact, uh, because it'll be a really, you know, nice nod for him, you know, to go out one day and you know. Yeah, but if it doesn't get proven, proven if it doesn't get proven, well, what, that's a different story altogether, Nancy. Yeah, that's, yeah. you know, that's another. Well, let me. Okay, so let tale. me let me uh, bring up the third thing or the second thing of the two things, and okay. the third this of the was two. All right. 
Um, this is something else really cool about the Art Bell universe. Right, uh, the right, first right. was the Jasmunda bits, that, the little video bits go into the Art Bell YouTube channel, which is, I believe, easy enough to find. And I should have the exact link, which I will find it for you. But this is um, something you can find. This is a little video. A fella, uh, a fan out there in fandom has been building these, these, these adorable little videos with Art Bell as a character as though he is Jerron. Um, it, there's a kind of a movie program that makes this where you create like wire form, you know, cre- you know, um, animation. It's, um, okay. anyway. And, and so if you remember, um, last week or so, Art Bell had a mouse, a mouse come into the studio. And this, this is a sort of a, a funny takeoff on that incident, but, the guide uses Art Bell's actual sound bites, his actual voice. He basically starts a conversation from a, point A to point Z with no breaks and then builds his animation around it. So it's very smooth. And in this case, it's hilarious. And the fellow's name is Michael Ging, Ging, Gingrich. Gingrich. It's really Gingrich. fabulous stuff. And Gingrich, and you go to artbell.com and find all this stuff. Uh, and and the reason I wanted to bring up this mouse thing is because in the soundbite, Keith is mentioned a few times because Art is saying he hear, hears voices in his head and Keith is saying it's fun and and Art does the demon Keith thing. So I'm not the only one with the Roland thing going on. Just hi 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 Jesse Randolph Jesse Randolph. <laughs> Wow, yeah. that was a completely uh, left turn there. Well, right? see, if I had done it properly, if I'd done it <laughs> early, then I could have built up to the to right. the Malachi Martin, which was the more meaty part of the thing I'm bringing to the table. Table, and then yeah, yeah and then just to close out the Art Bell <laughs> fandom, I will tell you that tonight his guest in just two short hours, give or take, is right. um, an underwater cave explorer named Jill Heinrich. 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 H e i n e e r t h Heinert. The Heimlich maneuver? No, no, no like Hein Heinert. Heinert. Earth. But you know what? Um, Close enough. Yeah, and this is why I mentioned uh, Dina X. Um, we were talking on on the on the Twitter here on the uh, Skype here about the there was another cave lady that Art Bell back in his classic shows did interview, and her name is Bonnie Crystal. Um, and she's also a really famous ham operator person. I have to give you, I have to put this link in for Angel to look at in your spare time. Bonnie Crystal, she's, it, interestingly enough, this will be the second really interesting lady cave explorer. Um, can't go wrong with caves. Caves are one of the great earth mysteries. I love caves. So uh, anyway. I'm curious about huh. if, if, huh. if tonight's, no. yeah. if Art's guest tonight, Mm-hmm. is an underwater cave explorer. I wonder ah. if she will have a lot to say about those caves that seem to be of Point Doom. I'd be really curious about that. Mm. Are That's they are they really yeah. ca- are yeah. they really caves or is that simply a kind of an optical anomaly true uh, from Google Earth? True. Yeah. Um I'm looking up her 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 website might indicate um and um, we'll check that out. Might indicate uh, underwater or not. 
Yeah, caves are cool until you get lost in one, and then it's not cool anymore. Well, I would never personally. I mean, we've been Bill and I were in a cave outside of, I believe, Sidonia. I think. Right. That was a great cave. I mean, it was it was a touristy cave. I mean, yeah, but it was so- terrifying. I, I have no desire to do caves. Exactly. But I love I love to look at videos. Um, uh, Werner Herzog. If you like Werner Herzog, he has all kinds of great videos on Netflix, basically Ooh. about Werner Herzog. Werner Herzog. Um, Werner Herzog. Das Booth. He's an he's a crazy actor and director, and he does a lot of movies of craziness just to kind of lead off. And and his great actor. Sounds like my type of filmmaker. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, you'd love this guy. Uh, he's known for all kinds. of – He's known for. Uh, is Das Boot where, – where's the one where they drag the ship over the mountain? That's by, Das Boot where they drag the whole – yeah, where they drag the whole ship over the mountain. This by boat. hand. By hand, yeah. They have to drag it over the mountain. You can imagine how much the um, – this is – a lot moved, of dragging. Yeah, I mean, and it's because of, of Klaus Kinski. Klaus Kinski, the actor, has always been his muse. So he's done a lot of crazy movies with Klaus Kinski about Klaus Kinski, and I believe – They've done an underwater cave, or not underwater, but just a cave one. Um, I'm trying to get to the ladies' site as we speak to see. Intotheplanet.com sounds underwater to me. Intotheplanet.com is her is her site. Women underwater. Yes, Angel, it's underwater. I like women underwater. I agree. Yeah, and you like women. I so like we're women, all, yes. We're all set there. And when they're it underwater, is, it's, a, it's a bonus. Yeah. And I, yeah, I just want I think, to... I think that's why I have a fascination with the mermaids, by the way. Love mermaids. Well, um, yeah. So anyway, okay. <laughs> well, I was just going to say the whole. Cube Nowhere to go from that, huh? Well, the cube. No, there isn't because you could just on my ask mind. all these inappropriate questions about how do mermaids reproduce. Well, that's a good question, actually. I never thought of that. Yeah. So you know, while we have Angel here, it's our it's our chance once a week to ask anything, ask any questions about the Cubans, right? Oh, uh, boy. you're asking the wrong Cuban. Well, and I and I keep thinking about how weird it is that we're on the radio together, and our years uh, from the time Cuba was, you know, turned off as a thing anybody American could know about, and then you come here from there. Uh-huh. It's very, it's just very weird. Well, uh, we happen to like a show called Madam Secretary, Bill and I, and last night. Um, their show is ripped from the headlines, and they're doing, you know, the opening, the reopening of the American Embassy in Cuba. Right. Oh, really? No kidding. And it was very tear-jerking, I think, because supposedly, I don't know whether, has it actually opened already? I think it has. Oh, yes, it has. Yep, sure. yep it has. And I wonder if there's any stories like the the two guys, the two Marines who brought the flags down uh, were there to present the flags to be brought back up again. And that was very tear-jerky, if, if true, if true. And so, but one of the interesting things is that the cars, you know, the fabulous cars that, uh, are stopped in time, supposedly. That featured in the show, oh, in okay. which, yeah, in which you know tourists now get to drive an absolutely well-preserved. It's true. A 1955 Chevys and 1957 Plymouths and those all cars those, are awesome. Yeah, all those one, all those wonderful cars. I mean, well, I I love those cars. My fraternity brother had a 1955 Chevy that we used to drive around a lot and. My mother had a 1957 Plymouth with the big fins. Well, that's what. But I wanted to ask Angel from from the technical side: Is it possible that 
uh, or is this just movie fiction, that the cars could have been kept in cherry perfect condition with great love and care? Could that be – is that possible? It's possible, but, I mean, you would have to be constantly fixing little issues that come up because cars break down. It's like everything else. Uh, but it, it is possible. You can keep a car for 50 years and maintain it. Well, that's – I wonder if that's true when tourists go mm-hmm. down and – Droves, you probably you... can't do it with modern cars now, but back then cars were made different. Oh, no. Yeah. Right. I mean, back then it was a whole different story. Yeah, but, different animal. You no, know, the big thing to me would be how to replace those parts because a lot of those parts simply right. aren't manufactured yep. anymore. Yep. Yeah, well, that's, true. that's what, um, you know, I know a lot of people buy and sell old cars just to take them apart. So I think there's a there's a hearty interest in this stuff. You but know, I just... it just hit me. You know what would probably be a perfect answer for that, Bill? What? 3D pr- uh, printing. Oh, sure, yeah. of course. Yeah, exactly. That would replace the industry completely. You need a part, 3D print it. Yeah. You can fix whatever mm-hmm. car now. <laughs> well, did we need to talk at all about the thing that happened in Paris on Friday night, Friday the 13th, the horrible? Did we it's want to been, talk about that at all? I don't know. It's been said. So, I mean, um, I can say a lot about, about it. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but it's, I mean, just from my opinion, it's been talked about and talked about. I mean, every pundit, on every television station from the regular networks all through cable has come up with really the same stuff. And so at a certain point, it's terrible well, can to I, say. Can I, okay, since we're on you, a weird... You can, make your, you can make your point. I mean, well, a point I would like to wonder about. Um, and no offense to the victims whatsoever, but I'm wondering... Are we playing into the hands of are, – are we just being led down this path of emotion um, that we could somehow or another – could we – could we? I don't know, not – you know how sometimes they don't talk about the perpetrator anymore in these mass shootings? They only – you know, they just don't mention the name. Um, can we not – can we let – I don't know. Can we talk – yeah. And then we're talking about it, so – Right, I mean, yeah, it's, about, not, I mean, it's not easy. You know, yeah. if you wanted to comment, I would. It 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 always stuns me that at the end of the day, when the smoke clears, there's all this intelligence traffic that basically predicted exactly what would happen, or would that would predict what would happen. Well, that's what makes you crazy, and it gets lost in the noise. Nobody does anything about it, and this was nine eleven. I mean, when 9-11 happened, we were warned about it by, by the Israelis, by the Germans, by the Taliban. The Taliban actually told us. They actually sent a message to uh, this person, Katz, who was Gandhi Rice's assistant, and said, this is what's going to happen. Nothing. Well, is this done. just human error coupled with the fact that all the uh, the test stuff that was going on, so people were standing down? Is this just simply coincidental and human error? Is that what you're saying? I have my suspicions because um, because well, just we answer had, me this: if no, there were six re- or seven simultaneous acts going on. In a in a in a town that is heavily policed, supposedly, in which they watch every cell phone and every message, you know, something well, is. Don't. No, they don't, because there are a lot of apps now that a lot of um, sleeper cells and terror cells are using that basically encrypt the phone message so that the government can't. Uh, uh, penetrate it, and so that's that's one. So that was a myth that uh, people we could track their phone messages. They 
with a certain kind of an app, you can't. So that's on the one hand. And on the other hand, there's a, a great deal of um, confusion among the various intelligence agencies that simply don't share information from their own turf. So you might get something and it seems vague to you. It, it's, there's a book that I wrote with Joel Norris a thousand years ago called Serial Killers, A Growing Menace. And mm-hmm. in that book, one of the things we talked about was this, this phenomena among various police agencies called linkage blindness. And that's, I think, what really is the hallmark of a lot of intelligence agencies today. That was a hallmark of 9-11. It's linkage blindness. There are links out there, but really there isn't any way to put those links together to form a cohesive pattern. That's why when um, uh, Bill Binney from the NSA went public, about the software he created to put people together with these kind of Venn diagram um, charts about who's talking to whom and what what circles are being formed. He was frightened about the power of something like that, but the whole purpose of that was to sur- or, or was to overcome mm-hmm. this this item called linkage blindness. Mm-hmm which basically prevents uh, different agencies from sharing information that might be related and that might point to something. And I think that's what happened in France. Well, um, a, a movie we watched over the weekend is, uh, was called Ex Machina, Ex Machina, Ex Machina. Ex, Ex Machina. Ex Machina, yeah. yeah. Ex-machina, and yeah. it's got a fascinating premise fascinating that it fits right in with what bill is saying um this guy the there's very few characters in the movie there's the genius guy who's built an android woman and the genius guy is basically the founder of that movie's version of of google and he has hitched all of google into her ai all of it okay and so that's just terrifying to think about um you know why why waste it um, and so this particular, so there's that. And so Benny, I always thought was a, a particularly scary guy because he was one of the people hacking, like hacking through the forest of chaos and was creating algorithms that you could lay on top of the chaos and then you begin to see something else. Right. That's exactly what he did. Yeah. And he basically is one of the great whistleblowers that I hope Art will have on sometime soon. Uh, William Binney, B-I-N-N-E-Y. Um, I've, I've, I've looked at YouTubes with, with him and he fills entire lecture halls and the students just, just hang around and talk to him for like hours afterward. They, fi- they have filmed that and he's very fascinating. And he has caught people's attention on, uh, the NSA. What's going right, on? Right, he has. I mean, mm-hmm. and the difference between a Bill Binney and an Edward Snowden is that Bill Binney went public and stayed in this country. And said, if anybody wants to prosecute me for this, you know, go ahead and do it. I'll defend myself. I mean, that's what he did. He was NSA. He was an employee of the NSA. He developed those algorithms. He developed mm. the, th- that software. Indeed. Indeed. So, yeah. So there you go. And, and, a, and a movie reference to boot. To boot. I still got to see that movie, by the way, Ex Machina. Oh, it's excellent. It's really good. Uh, Bill fell asleep. We started watching it. Did you watch it, or did you like see it on Netflix? 
Uh, Plex, I think. I believe oh, Plex. Zod yes, Riders, yes. probably. Yeah, with Zod Riders, I think. Uh, and, and we, we have we to tell you about, this. We could talk about Spectre <laughs> at another. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm going to actually see that uh, this weekend in theaters. I, I got to go see that. Yes, yes, indeed. You should see it in a theater. <laughs> anyway, yeah. yeah I, I heard. Oh, it's hilarious. It's, yeah, it really so. Is. I thought I was trapped in a nightmare of a Mystery Science Theater 3000 as we were watching. <laughs> yeah. That bad? Well, you'll see. It's pretty You'll cool. see. Yeah, you should but, really but I, I, de- I highly I'm recommend uh, yes, Ex, Ex Machina. It, it's a very simple movie that kind of stays with you. Um, the acting is good. The acting is good. Uh, you know, the acting is good. Um, it's not really acting, but you'll see. It's the touring test. Oh, it's a movie, it's, so it's acting. Yeah. There's well, acting. I mean, when you're acting Somewhat. like an, when you're an android trying to act human, I guess that's a skill as well. That is a skill. Yeah. You know, not everybody can do sure. that. No, yeah. I mean, I, it was a surprise ending for me. I really thought that the Turing test was the android trying to figure out what made the um, this young kid human. I, I no, she's way like beyond. That's what I'm saying. That the fact that he's suggesting he hooked up all of Google to help build her AI, and 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 the whole point of the movie is she's a very crafty person, very crafty right, intelligence. Right. Um, with the best of humanity and the worst, so you know. Very Honestly, I'm getting tired of uh, I'm getting tired of these movies with uh, artificial intelligent beings coming to life. Like, you know, yeah. I, you saw it. We saw it on Terminator with Skynet. Do we need to see a thousand more movies like that? Well, really all, but 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 but, 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 but the movie is the the hook of the movie is that with with sentience with self consciousness comes all the all the bad parts about being a human being that you become self-serving that you become selfish that you become deceptive that you become manipulative yep. yeah but here, but, but but guys the movie her with um phoenix uh, uh jo- Joaquin, Joaquin, Joaquin phoenix. phoenix i'm going to say that's a, that's a tough one yeah, that's Joaquin. a tough one i know yeah, and, Scarlett, and Scarlett Johansson in oh, that movie her. this it's oh my god she's she is the, really a good actress because it's only her voice right. you never ever see a body but but here's the thing yes the thing becomes sentient but the ending is nothing like like in a typical movie it's a wholly different ending okay right. and so that's the only difference i'm tired of zombies to be honest i have never understood zombies but you don't, don't even watch zombie it. movies or, or right TV but shows. i'm tired so how, can of, you, how can you be tired of something you don't watch but well, the thing but the thing with her is she never becomes more than a voice. She never becomes True. more than an operating yep. system. No, you're in, wrong. In well, no, no. The, don't you remember it, the ending? I, I do, I do. But it's but it's Joaquin Phoenix who's no. the driver in this. In Ex no, Machina, no, no. it's the android who's the driver. No, it's just the opposite. Um, on the break, I won't I won't give away the ending on the show. But on the break, I'll tell you the ending, and you're you might have fallen asleep. Which I always do at movies. Yeah, don't do that. Don't do that because I haven't seen the movie. And no I don't want spoilers. You to, yeah, I don't want you to ruin yeah. it for me. So yeah, it's I'll not mute myself if we're going to talk about the ending. I'll yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell Bill. I'll tell Bill after the show since we or, or, or tomorrow. I see. There you go. Yeah, that'll work. And as Jesse Randolph said, we are sort of like his Jew- Jewish parents. He's very, <laughs> very funny about that. Saying, help us. you know, yeah. <laughs> 
And so we're tonight we're going to talk about some gossip. I'm telling you we're going to gossip. I believe that Jesse, Jesse knows Rayburn, how to gossip. He's a gossiper. Yes. And he that's is a basically it's it's our role. I mean, it's one thing to bring on uh, highly intelligent people who've done great books and they want to talk and we want to talk and we all learn something. That's 99% of what we do, but the other hmm. 10% is gossip. Careful, Je- careful, Nancy. You're, you're threading on a possible insult. Where? <laughs> Where? Lead me uh, to it. Because, no, you know, are you saying that Jesse's not highly intelligent and cannot write a book? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. I'm having... saying he's a guy in the industry, and I'm going to say the other 10% oh, is Because he is a highly intelligent person I know no i'm fact. saying I, i'm actually going to suggest that you and me and bill and jesse were all reporters at the end of the day we we report on what we find in the field if we have a radio show it's basically mm, a report true. you know right, and right. when we find something out terrible we report it if we can um we try to always be loyal to them what brung us you know you dance with them what brung you um, but sometimes I, you have to I like say. to consider myself a spoof on the genre, though, because while I do take it serious and I do a lot of serious reporting on stuff, I do, you know, insert a lot of jokes and, and what I do on Sky Watchers. And, and I think that, uh, you know, it's, different, it's a little different than what everybody it's else does. It's your youthful exuberance. I'm not that young. Yeah, you're young compared <laughs> to the rest of us here. Oh, yeah. This is true. Yeah, you are but a, but, a, but a child. And Jesse, I believe. I am but the baby. Well, I think Jesse and you were about the same age, right? Close, yeah, about the same age. Yeah, yeah. So, so we'll have a lot to talk about tonight because we are going to gossip um, because we're going to go back and talk about how Jesse got involved with this field and how Bill and I got involved. And I want to compare notes because we're still in the field trying to make sense of it. So, I think well, we got we got a caller on the line who's trying to make sense of something. Four two three, you're live on the air. Four two three. Hello, this is Charles. I was calling to tell you something you all would have touched on if you had seen it. It just it popped up a while ago. Um, anonymous, what, what's that? What's that? Uh, anonymous has jumped in on ISIS. They yeah. have hacked and cut everything of theirs off. And they well, that's, what, that's good. They well, they threatened it. Charles, did they actually do it, or are they just threatening it? No, they've done it already. They, they, uh, Wednesday of last week, they cl- they closed down all their social media sites and other websites, and they said now nah, it's war. That they hmm. will completely destroy everything. My question so is, to- why are these people even allowed to have you know Twitter accounts or Facebook? Accounts? I know, like I, ISIS should not be allowed to have any for, social media first account. First Amendment period. is it? First Amendment if they're no, the, not there's no, no First Amendment over in the Middle East. No, over I mean, there. there's no First Amendment outside of America. And honestly, when you're a terrorist, you deserve no First Amendment. That's just, you know, when, and you're a terrorist outside this country, you don't even, you're not even in, no. There's no First but Amendment. how they get them is by pretending to be regular folk, right? Right, no. they, right, right. Yes. And they've yeah. been using PlayStation 4s as one of their devices. But are they on the dark net, Charles? Or are they on the human side of the They're doing both. Net? They're doing both. Because I think now there's quite a bit of interaction you might have a little hole here and there where you can fall into the dark net and they can move back and forth. It's like little portals between. And I think they've got that down. But Anonymous will be a better, well, uh, well, better how, than a lot of governments. How, how do you think that works? Do you think that works through forums or through you're playing a game and somebody comes in the game and says, follow this link? 
And I think the, it comes through even photos. Are you talking think, about the code that's in, embedded in, in the JPEGs? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. They yeah. put it there. And I think that if you have probably a certain piece of software, you, you will de- your computer will pop the message out anyway. It's like having a pair of 3D glasses and seeing the pop-out images. I think yeah. that there's a certain amount of software in there that does that. But I think they will be a wonderful – and the government, uh, the United States government has been just, oh, going, oh, you shouldn't do that. I think they'd be, they should be our biggest uh, ally right now. They have access to uh, web techniques that no one else has, and they're, Except, they're curious. Well, uh, well, Charles, let me ask this before we go to break, because uh, it is the bottom of the hour. But here's my question to you. Don't you think that given the nature of our intelligence services, that they have already been penetrated, probably penetrated knowingly, and are operating with the full faith and understanding of the intelligence services that are monitoring them. Wouldn't you say that? I don't think our intelligence sources are that good. The governmental ones, I do not think they are that good. And I don't think they could penetrate them. Uh, ISIS might have penetrated us. And if that's what you mean, I think ISIS probably penetrated us i think it goes both ways myself i i I think it goes both ways and remember we're talking internationally we're not mm -hmm. just talking inside the borders of the united states and i will bet you that not only have um is there let's just say a cross current between folks in anonymous and folks in our intelligence services but folks in Mossad and folks in MI6 and folks in a few other intelligence services around the world as well including including um uh Russia that's what I would fully believe I would say Russia China and the Mossad would be the most potent uh, Well when anonymous was on our bell show he definitely said that he basically said what you're saying. He said that people join, people are in anonymous as a, it's as a, it's an intellectual construct. It's not their job. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I forget so exactly. There's probably pieces of each each group. There might be a uh, an element from each group in there, and they're working between between the lines. I think so too. Uh, that's I, I I think so too. I mean, I I would be surprised at this point if some organization simply popped up and intelligence services didn't have their own people involved in it well if anybody saw mostly all of you probably have seen the photograph or the movie of putin and obama kind of leaning into each other talking at a table at a conference at the g2 just just the g20 yeah the g20 g20 um and that gave me great confidence because they were just talking like people talk behind the scenes when they are in fact equals and they are behind the scenes. I mean, it's not like, it's almost like maybe we can get this thing done in a diplomatic way. And that would of course be the best way. Just they're gone. Their money supply has dried up. They've all gone back into society because they don't believe in the cause anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, that would be beautiful if we could just erase their enthusiasm, you know, for something that is a, I don't want to say anything, get in trouble. Yeah, no, well, no, well, there's, <laughs> no, there's a wonderful, on the kind of the whole political spectrum of, of commentary about this, there was a wonderful article 
that really came out of Israel uh, 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 this morning that basically compared ISIS, the Islamic State, and Al-Qaeda. And one of the things and, and one of the points that they made was that there is a fundamental difference in strategy between the two organizations. Both are terrorists. Both are pretty violent. But the point of al-Qaeda was to get Western armies and Western culture out of Arab countries and just be pure. So it was a self-purification ritual, whereas ISIS was different instead of self-purification, the self-purification would come after there was the establishment of a caliphate state. And so that's what they've done in Syria and Iraq right now. And so they are, it's no longer simply a terrorist organization. They are state actors. They've declared themselves to be a Mm -hmm. state. You don't need to be recognized by the United Nations. They've declared themselves to be a state. They have territory. They have an economy. They have an army. They They have a government. They are a functioning state. And so we should look at them as a functioning state and deal with them and bankrupt, that way. And bankrupt them. Well, yeah. you know, this is where Donald Trump's comment, just take their oil. Just go in there and just – Well, you can also do banking laws. I know a lot of people have already begun to talk about this. If they are a state and they have to work as a state, then you have to abide by international banking rules, which is but another way to, to get them. Okay, but have you guys have you guys heard of the concept? And it's all over Reddit right now. Not that it's I like Reddit very much. Reddit is not 4chan. 4chan is not Reddit. Um, There's a concept that if you use the word, I believe it's pronounced Daesh, D A E S S H H Daesh, a word that they hate that kind of demeans them. It's like it means like hovel or lower class pile of people Mm -hmm. or something, and um, world leaders have begun to use that term for them instead of calling them. They want to be called a state. I S. They want to be called right, a state. That's what they want to be called. And state. so this mm-hmm. Daesh, D A E S H, is a nice way. I mean, that's the way the world really can fight back. There's so many, you know, just show internet hate. <laughs> just mm-hmm. use your words, and maybe that will help. Because you know, when the internet turns on you, it's a terrible thing. It is. Uh, yeah, but the, the words are not going to destroy ISIS. It's going to take a lot more than just people on the internet, you know, bashing them. It's going to take bodies. It's going to well, take bodies, a lot of bodies. That's, explosions. That's, that's you know, okay. We, are, we don't. Yeah. Uh, that's a sad fact, Nancy. It's, it, we it are is at a the bottom fact. of the. Oh, we're at the bottom of the hour. Yes, so what you need to do. Another sad fact. Go ahead. <laughs> take our break. Thank you, Charles. To take our break and then come back with our guest, Jesse Randolph. So I'm going to do that right now. So everybody stay with us for these messages. We will be back in just a little bit on Future Theater on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio with our guest, Jesse Randolph. And we will see you after. Since I've seen her face, I pray she's doing fine. Still recall our sad last day. How it hurts so bad to see her cry. I didn't wanna say goodbye. 
I've been on panels with uh, military people who, you know, claim that they've seen the aliens buzzing our missile silos. They had very large eyes, and, you know, I found their stare extremely difficult to bear. This is Martin Willis, the host of Podcast UFO, and we are here on the Dark Matter Radio Network every Wednesday from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It is my commitment to bring you an entertaining weekly show that takes a hard look at the UFO phenomena. Are they extraterrestrial? Well, are they interdimensional? Are they time travelers or something we have not even thought of yet? We explore these questions with interesting guests and witnesses from all around the globe. In addition, we bring you weekly UFO news with Open Minds TV, Alejandro Rojas. Thank you for listening, and remember, keep your eyes to the sky. This is James Swagger, host of Capricorn Radio. I'm also an author, engineer, and researcher. Capricorn Radio covers alternative history, alternative science, philosophy, and truth-orientated discussions. We are proud to be on the Dark Matter Radio Network, live at 8 p.m. Saturdays, Eastern Standard Time. You can catch extra info on darkmatterradio.net, jameswagger.com for yours truly, and capricornmembers.com for the archives. Don't forget, truth is not democratic, truth is truth. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Hello, my name is Howard Hughes, and I'm in London, and I've been proud to bear this name all my life. Over here in the UK, I'm known as a broadcast journalist. I've been involved in some of the big stories of our time. The fall of the Berlin Wall. The death of Princess Diana. I told London about that. And on the first and second anniversaries of 9-11, I was there at Ground Zero, speaking to the people who were directly involved and those experiences I will never forget. So news is my thing. But my great love is my show, the one that I produce, The Unexplained. Over the years on this show, I've spoken to people like the late Al Bielik from the Philadelphia Experiment, Edgar Mitchell, the amazing Apollo astronaut, Dr. Stephen Greer, David Icke, and Uri Geller. People like Richard C. Hoagland have become personal friends over the years. I met him in London. So you can see that these sort of topics are what I like to discuss. Please join me on my show from London, The Unexplained, Monday nights on the Dark Matter Network. 
Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions, providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology, preventative maintenance and networking support, hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call key information solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. back with our guest Jesse Randolph on Future Theater on the Dark Matter Digital Network and PSN Radio. Thank you for joining us, Jesse. We are so glad to have you here. Fantastic to be here. I can't believe it's the first time I'm officially meeting both of you. you oh, you well. I think that I would have uh, ran into you at something, but glad to be here. Really nice to meet you both. Well, that's yeah. the funny part about it because we actually lived in proximity. When were you living in Marina del Rey? I was living there, I would say, probably 2010, maybe a little earlier. We had left by then. We were living yeah, we there. Were. We, we moved there in – well, we were in Venice in 1997. And then, pro, and then after 9-11, we brought our boat down from the Channel Islands and just basically took up permanent residence uh, on our boat um, at the Santa Monica Yacht Club and then moved to – I remember hearing yachts. about that, and I somebody said, hey, you know, UFO Magazine, which has been on my bathroom floor for years, and they said, you know, there's somebody who does UFO Magazine on a boat. She just yeah, I, publishes that out of a boat, and I was like, what are you talking about? That's and right. Sure enough, it was there Nancy Burns. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, the weird thing was when we were publishing it, um, we would print, you know, we would have a, pr- it would be printed. This is not yes. digital. And the cover, because it was expensive, uh, they used to send proofs that you had to sign off on before they would roll the presses. And uh-huh. the cover itself was so big, it was bigger than a fireplace. Um, Withwise, and it had to be folded many times. It was a, it was the cover uh, reproduced four times in four different colors and everything, and 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 it was huge. And it and we worked on a tiny little boat whose width was only eleven feet. Hmm. That the width was only eleven feet inside, which meant that the couches and stuff took away a few feet. So you only had a little bit of space in there. And we did the entire magazine from there, from its inception uh, until it's – then it died here in, on the – on land. Right. It, it on died land. on the East Coast, yeah. Yeah. I really but, think that would have been a good reality show. But, oh, my God. Know. So do I. That would have been, yeah. So yeah. do I. Not the – well, the UFO part is pretty cool actually. No, the but, two of you as a couple I think would have been a good show producing that magazine yes. from a boat. That would yeah, been, yeah. I'd watch that. Well, I'd here, watch it, that show. Heck yeah. But here's – Here's the first thing I wanted to bring up, Jesse. Sure. What you what year did you st- say that you kind of started? Uh, when you say kind of like the train hit you with the Lazar stuff. 
Okay, so that was when um, it all started for me, uh, probably with Hopkins books when I was a kid, and mm-hmm. Streber, who I love his writing. Mm-hmm. Uh, once once I started going to a couple of lectures, I got I got a little turned off. But um, as a writer, I was really mm-hmm. blown away and sometimes pretty frightened by his stuff. Mm-hmm. Bill uh, too. Bill oh. too. Oh yeah, yeah. Me too. We were living on. Uh, uh, talk about. Um, a uh, sharing Long Island. We were living at the, uh, when Communion came out. We were living all the way at the end of Shelter Island. In fact, we were living on an island off an island off Shelter Island. It was Big Ram, and we were living on the very edge of Big Ram. So from our house, our glass windows, you would look across the bay to. Uh, on the one hand, the North Shore of Long Island, because Shelter Island is smack in the middle. You, you, right. You would look toward Orion Point, and then beyond Orion Point would be um, the coast of Connecticut. But you're forgetting Plum Island. Island. And there was Plum Island off in the distance, too, because you could see Plum Island. <clears throat> and the fascinating part about that is that uh, uh, the house was two sections of house connected by a glass corridor and when you walk through the glass corridor the whole thing was open to the bay so it was like and at night it was glorious but so i'd be reading communion and then reading about what was happening up in up in um brewster county and all that area in new york and then walking from my office on one side of the house across the glass corridor to where the bedroom was, and I'm telling you, it was so frightening because any minute you'd think you'd see a, a flying saucer coming down over the bay, and that'd be it for you. Oh yeah, uh, Shelter Island, especially, is such a remote little place, and most oh, people don't even God. know much about it. I've been there just a, maybe twice, and uh, yeah, that that that's a good place to read a Whitley Strieber book. But yeah, he got sure. he he got me really pumped. And then I started to – I was always kind of a frightened kid, so I don't, I don't really know why I liked these books very much. But I did feel very different as a child. I didn't, I didn't know why, and as I grew older, I got more into the subject, but I also had a life. And when I moved to Los Angeles, I had befriended some folks that worked in video. And this is back in the day, like we were talking on the Skywatcher show where you know videotapes were – still around well, was and this was this tim crawford you're talking about it was it mm-hmm. was I, I i had met tim uh when i was about 19 this is how far back this goes I'm, I'm i'm in my 40s now so when i met tim it was uh something where he had been working in this video industry selling b movies and such to companies mom and pop video shops and i was at a party one night and somebody gave me a tape and they said you got to check this out so I flipped it in, and sure enough, it was the Lazar tape, the Secrets of the Government Bible. It cool. was yeah. something that, you know, it came on. It was lo-fi. It was bad quality, and it scared the living daylights out of me. Wow! I just I couldn't believe that this was true, and I didn't know what to do. So I ran over to a buddy's house, and I had a relative that worked in the special effects field, and I asked them to take a look at it. And this is how I talk about the evolution or the stages of ufology and exopolitics awareness that we all go through, right? So there, right, I was right, in this right. pa- paranoid state. Yeah, right? yeah. I was in this sort yep, of shell state. 
Sure. Like, has do. anybody else seen this? Right. Like, well, am I the only one freaking out about this? <laughs> Therefore, I better yeah. find out if I'm just nuts. And I showed it to a couple of people, and they were just as intrigued. And they were smarter yeah. than me. So I, then I got – so I went from this paranoia state that you go through to the second stage, which is more of like this annoying preacher uh, state that you get into. Where well, you were you working at party. Yahoo at this point? Wasn't working there yet. Okay. Uh, I, start, I, I then showed the tape to Tim Crawford, who at the time had a company called Indie Video and – didn't talk, we had never even talked about the UFO subject, and I said, "Watch this tape. I think this is something you should get involved with, because it was so mesmerizing to me and my friends that I figured, hell, why aren't you selling that?" So sure enough, years later, he started a company called UFO uh, Video or UFO TV, and now they're one of the largest YouTube uh, hubs for UFO video. I know you guys know Tim. And he's been doing it for years. He's, and then he started going to all the conferences, and I would tag along. And as a commission, sort of, so to speak, because I kind of handed him a, a, a idea that he ran with, he would get me tickets to David Icke or he would get me into any lecture that I was salivating about that I wanted to see, whether it was Greer or you name it. Right, and right, right. Then I got a job at Yahoo! And uh, – as you said, uh, I was thrusted into big corporate machine and Fortune 500 companies and uh, pretty rigid uh, ways of but, thinking. But where did your show come in vis-a-vis, uh, you know, the Crawford era and then the Yahoo era? I'm going to fill in the gap really quick. Uh, the gap was I was at Yahoo for about four plus years, and I had to travel to India uh, for work. Uh, most of my Technicians, programmers, and alike were stationed in Bangalore, and mm-hmm. with Yahoo, you know, our office there. So I was in I was in India, and still reading about this stuff, you know, UFOs, exopolitics, but not talking about it anymore. I had reached that phase where I was done preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got sick in India. I got pretty badly sick, and when I came back to the states, I had to go through a whole life change. I had the kind of Sickness apparent uh, that nobody wants. I had woken up with a, a terrible illness that I never could have imagined that I would run into, but I did. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, I had to take a year off from work, uh, which is about 50 years in the Internet community at the time. Yes, yes. <laughs> and then I tried to come back, but while I was gone for a year, and if you want to, without going into too much detail, because I, I think it, it brings people down, but I'm open to questions if you have any. Uh, there was a gentleman recently, uh, this is my hint, there's a gentleman recently that asked George Lucas and Mark Hamill and some other guys from Star Wars as a dying wish to see the new Star Wars movie. He yes. Was, right. Yep. right. Know a lot of people heard this story. And right. the, the great news is that they they showed it to him at his home. Right. Yeah, I heard he, that. Yeah. He died, uh, you know, days after. It wasn't uh, – it really was a dying wish. Um, yeah. That – I had what that gentleman had. Wow. Yikes. So mm. That is my – you can fill wow. in all the blanks and you can understand what happened to me. I got hit by mm. a train. So yeah. when I came – during this time, I thought I was a goner. I thought basically, you know, and that's a whole nother stage of awareness, isn't it? So – Mm-hmm. Sure enough, here I was living in Venice Beach, California with nothing to do except rot in a chair 
and watch movies all day. And what came on my shoulder again, like a little friend just saying, now you have time to really do just about anything and say just about anything. Mm -hmm. So I went home one day and I started tinkering. And that's how I stumbled upon internet radio. And I just mm -hmm. I pushed the record button one day in my apartment. I lived in the Venice Circle. It was real noisy, I remember. Mm -hmm. Oh, I love the Venice. It, uh, I love the. It's down from the firehouse, right? Firehouse, down yeah. from Venice right. Boulevard, right yeah, there. I love that circle. Oh my god! Across the street from the boardwalk. I mean, you couldn't have more craziness going on. That's and true. If you're going through an illness, what a what a great place to not stick out and look weird. So right. I and also to and, and to and to be, become and fall in love with life again. Well, there's that for sure. I ran into a lot of people that weren't as judgmental, but I could just walk for hours if I had the strength and just absolutely. Look. And and that's what I did. So I pressed record one day and said, "Let's see if I can talk at all. Let's see if I can just talk about this subject for mm -hmm. a couple of minutes." And I went for an hour, and I didn't mm -hmm. talk to anybody, and. I put it on play, and I went over to a friend's house and showed it to him, and that was the um, the start of this crazy radio journey because what happened next and why I was able to get folks like Hoagland, which Angel had uh, talked about, was because I had known Tim. So I called him and said, look, you know, I'm going to do this, and I want your Rolodex. Right, right, and right. That's how it started. right. Um, but but uh, you were not a radio person before you basically came upon Blog Talk Radio, right? No, I was an Art Bell junkie. I okay. had I had been a musician for a, a, a part of my life in Los Angeles, and and you have to tell you have to tell folks what your job was at Yahoo because boy, did you succeed when you think about what your job was and the way the social media is today. The way you described it to Angel is that your job was to get young people involved with social media. Yeah, that was a large part of it. I was in charge of the youth division and yeah. the children's division. So, we but were what was your like, what was your skill set? What were you uh, are you a uh, writer or are you a programmer? I was an account manager. I was a product manager. We were called. So my product was portions of the Yahoo site. And the, those portions were the youth sections, which wow. encompassed both children. There was a there was a website called Yahooligans, which we later changed <laughs> to Yahoo Kids. And there was a there was I like a the first site. one better. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. There was some. Uh, there was a lot of sci-fi stuff and a lot of music and a, a lot of things about college and such. But a lot of that got scrapped as the internet started to get real squeezed financially. They started to scrap a lot of um, departments that weren't making enough revenue. Mm -hmm. So I did eventually you, um, did. You know a guy named Gus Mueller? Um, I believe he was fired from Yahoo. Not he was fired grandly from a few places, and he's a he's a blogger who's been blogging forever. I've never seen a more consistent blogger, but he he worked at these companies purely as a programmer. So maybe your paths wouldn't cross if he wasn't. So basically, you took you had Don't. teams of programmers who would do your bidding and designers and stuff. Yes, I had a team of about nine at the time, and most of them were in Bangalore, India. We kept the art and a lot of the cultural uh, pizzazz type stuff in the states because we had the flair and we knew mm -hmm. what was popular for our culture. 
So um, all the programming and such, and to this day, it's done the same way, of course, because we all know why we go to India for stuff. I just went there recently for a project. Um, yeah. So I'm, I Great was weather. staying up crazy, crazy hours, right? Because India is, what, 12 hours ahead? And mm-hmm. I was right. listening to crazy radio. And I kept telling myself, you know, when I was faced with this strange dilemma of thinking that I might have six months to a year to live, to try something crazy. And Mm -hmm. I had listened to art so much that I could almost introduce this show verbatim. And Mm -hmm. I said to myself, you know, give it a shot. And I didn't have any stage fright as I did when I was trying to be a musician years ago because there was nobody else in the room. And Mm -hmm. to this day, I have never interviewed a guest in person. Even Mm -hmm. when I jumped to terrestrial radio, I still, I still did it in the studio, uh, remotely. Yeah. What studio on your, I'm linked up to your Facebook page, which is terrifying, by the way, because when (laughs) I was trying to find you in order to really write a, a, a permanent show page for you, number one, your name is Jesse Randolph Singer on Facebook. And is that, is that, because you're a singer or because your last name is actually Singer? It is my last name. I, I've always – I decided a long time ago to go with my middle name. At the time, it was used when I was in music publishing because I didn't want to seem uh, too ethnic. So I thought Randolph was a better name where they yeah, wouldn't – Yeah, but Singer is just – Singer just kind of makes your, your career, doesn't it? Like, you know, it sort of says it all. You know, if we, you're gonna- we we all do things for different reasons, that, but to this day, I still like going by that name sometimes because I enjoy it. And the funny thing is, it's that simple. It's my middle name, okay? But yeah. just to bring it back into conspiracy land that we sometimes dabble in, all of us, uh, I remember at the time, I had a little squabble with the guys over at the Paracast when they when they still had uh, David Bidnine. Uh, Bidnine. 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 Thank you. Bidnine. And I had said something, and and they got angry at me, and yada yada yada, and they sent a bunch of letters and lost. So wait, let's go. Let's go back because I'm I'm an expert at this stuff because we used to be one of the the early supporters of the Paracast along with Fate Magazine. We really kind of kept them. We <clears throat> we we contributed money all the time as oh, UFO Magazine, you. and so we were dear dear friends. And then eventually, uh, Biedny ended up befriending and then unbefriending some friends of mine, Jeremy Vaney and Jeff Ritzman. And do you know about any of that? Do you come in after all that? If you No. The first time I heard of David B- uh, I'm going to pronounce it wrong again. Beatney? Go, Jesse. Beatney. I was in my office at Yahoo, and he called my cell phone. I have no idea how he got it. And he had tried to trick me into saying something bizarre about something he was angry at me at. So he was, a, he, w- he was the part of the Paracast that I uh, don't miss, really, because I always thought Gene did a good job and still does, although I do have issues with <laughs> uh, the UFO burnout syndrome that you wanted mm-hmm. to touch upon tonight at some yeah. point. So that's a well, teaser. I, I just wanted to throw in that Bill and I came into the field through two, two important ways. One was the book – Day after Roswell. In fact, that was the reason we got into the field. And the second was that through an interview that Vicki and Don Ecker conducted with Bill uh, from UFO Magazine, we ended up eventually buying the magazine. That's okay. right. 
Right. And keep in mind, before you go ahead there, to finish my quick story, Don Ecker <laughs> was one of the – who's very good friends with the Paracast, as you know, to this day, mm -hmm. was one of these folks who did some sort of research investigation of me when he heard that we were having some words back and forth and found this weird conspiracy that I was using these dual names. And I thought it was hysterical because wow. there's nothing. That was the big deal. I just didn't want to sound too Jewish, so I used Randolph. <laughs> wow. Yeah, go well, ahead, Don. Um, you can use that one all you want. <laughs> right about it. You can, there you go. That's the truth. That's the same excuse, by the way, that uh, Alan uses for changing his name on Skywatchers. I know. The, I know. The other guy? Yeah, the yeah. other guy. I what did you other. call him? You called him uh, uh, Norm, Norm, Norm McDonald. I called him Norm. Yes. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> I did. I'm yeah. sorry. I, I, cut, I cut you off. So you bought the magazine. From uh, the Eckers and uh, some of the jolliest people you ever meet. And well, here's why I wanted to bring that up. Here's why I wanted to bring that up. Sure. We, we basically uh, began working on the magazine with five people, the Eckers, the Burns, and another guy, okay, who, who quit really quickly. Uh, so then it's just the Eckers and the Burns. We didn't get along well, but one of the things you had to make sure was to kind of keep the peace in the family. Mm -hmm. Their enemies had to become our enemies or there would sure. have been no peace. And then their number one enemy was Hoagland. Okay. Number one was Hoagland. Wow. Uh, they have a long history with Hoagland as friends and, and, and Hoagland and Vicky were boyfriend and girlfriend and Vicky wrote about it. I, I got her to do this. Um, she wrote a piece for, about it with photos in UFO magazine where Hoagland's in her little nighty top, her little bathrobe top and his legs are there. You know, it's really cool. And now he's this having, this is good gossip. My middle is name have, is not good gossip. This is, I uh, know, I know. And real. so. I want to put that little um, that. I would that's like to see that. Yeah, I'll put that up with the show. So you really should it. post that. You really yeah, should. It's post a lot of fun. I might make that my desktop if you. <laughs> it is a, so. it so. is a fascinating. It is a fascinating photo. And to be well, fair, I have never met Vicky Ecker, so I've only met Don uh, and in a horizontal fashion. Uh, a couple of times, and he would not remember me. Uh, what do you mean by horizontal fashion? Uh, what I mean is I wasn't formally introduced to him. I've never had him on my show. What I mean is I've probably called into his show when I was very young, UFOs Tonight, uh, mm -hmm. and I probably read plenty of his articles, and I did talk to him at a few of the L.A. UFO Expo Wests mm -hmm. when they were going on, and mm -hmm. uh, that's when I could go down there and see legends like John Lear and things like that. And all I can say is that Don Ecker is probably one of the most knowledgeable guys about the subject. Um, I love hearing. Eh, eh. I, 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 I'm not going to. I'm not going to totally agree with you because I think he's a very our, knowledgeable guy. I, yeah, I think that he yeah. just uh, he's he's just he, again falls into this category of burnout, and everyone becomes a potential enemy at that point with a lot of angry folks within ufology. And the reason I think, and Bill, feel free to jump in here because you're the you're the the expert in my opinion because you you know this whole circle so well is that a lot of them are just very upset and angry over the years uh, of financial, about financial woes. And well, I that's don't... true. I mean, there's really no money in it. I mean, the, the day after Roswell became a bestseller, UFO Hunters did very well on history, but, but there really is no business 
of ufology. It, it simply doesn't exist. It is an amalgam of other enterprises where UFOs are a topic in those enterprises. So it's either in book publishing, it's in magazine publishing, it's in motion pictures, it's in television, it's in reality television, but there is no such business as ufology. I and agree. There's, and there's no such certification. It's not like there's an academic discipline of sociology or of, or of history, even though ufology is in part sociology, in part history, in part psychology. There's no separate discipline. So you've got all these people running around with absolute, in, in most cases, absolutely no qualifications whatsoever. They are self-proclaimed investigators, self-proclaimed historians, self-proclaimed document experts, self-proclaimed everything, but it's self-proclaimed. Now, there are people who, are, who, who do have very valid academic backgrounds, like a Stan Friedman, like um, a Kevin Randall, people like that. But for the most part, you could suddenly wake up one morning and become a ufologist and hang out a shingle, uh, go on any internet radio stream you want to go, start your show, publish a bunch of papers, put up a blog, and suddenly there you are. You're a ufologist. And the thing is, there is absolutely the stream of truth qua truth in ufology is very, very narrow. Because even the truthful things are the subject of a lot of arguments. So that's why there's a lot of burnout among people who claim to be ufologists. And that's why there's so much backbiting and elbowing and um, just nastiness among various people, even at these conferences. You know, that is so well said. I couldn't have worded it any better. In fact, I couldn't have. But – I think that sums it up perfectly, and as far as a lot of the veteran ufologists go, I have been hearing for years now this burnout radio, as I call it, where it's all about how we really haven't had anything happen since Roswell, Pretty much. and yeah. in a few years, this subject will be gone and done for, and mm -hmm. to me, I know – you always learn when you're a child that money doesn't buy happiness. But to be honest with you, in ufology, money probably would buy a lot of happiness at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, I totally agree with that. And the fact is that that whole argument, nothing new since Roswell, nothing new here. They all go back to the same stuff. That's a false argument because there is new stuff going on all the time. If you know where to look – and if you know how to parse the new stuff that's coming out, for example, if you looked at the sociology of that missile event off uh, Point Magoo in California last week, suddenly L.A. lit up. I mean, it was in the L.A. Times. It was on L.A. television. L.A. just basically lit up with stories about a UFO over Santa Monica. Well, it wasn't really Santa Monica Bay. It's off Point Magoo in the missile test range. Suddenly there was this big story and you saw all the, I, there are these calls to the sheriff's station and it got a lot of coverage. And, and that's as valid, at least in my opinion, 
that's as valid a UFO story as if an actual flying saucer had landed somewhere in California, because that speaks to the sociology of the community that wants to believe, but also the sociology of a community that's been lied to for over 70 years about the existence of UFOs. And that's, a, and, and so, so that was a really interesting event and an important event because of, of what it showed. But there are UFO stories from all over the world that are happening. I think George Filer does a really great job on Filer's files uh, as an amalgamator, as an aggregator of those kinds of stories. Some of them are just repeats of older stories. He'll focus on Paul Hellyer. I mean, how dull is that? Paul Hellyer got into the field because he read Day After Roswell. Yeah, but, but the important, but 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 one but of my gives, favorite. He gives some props to that, by the way. I have interviewed him, and he does give props. Yeah, to that I mean, he time. does, he does, and I've spoken to him about that. I, I, and I really wanted to challenge him, saying, you know, you're really taking at face value a, a lot of things that Phil Corso says off the cuff, and sure. and and with absolutely no independent. I mean, there was corroboration which is really overlooked by a lot of people, but a lot of people take that stuff just as, as gospel without looking at any corroboration whatsoever, such as it is. So, well, but they I, look but, at the quality of the messenger at this point, don't they? Because at this point, that's what we have. When videos and photography are kaput because you can't trust them any longer, it seems as though that's all you can rely on. And another aspect, which I learned later in life, in this portion of my life, which is to trust your heart. What does your heart tell you about who's telling the truth? And well, can, me, I, can I throw in a little something right there? Because um, about the video, we can't trust video. I think that the outcropping of all these radio shows since Blog Talk Radio up until the Art Bell moment most people can hear in other people's voices whether they're lying or not. And that's really hard to uh, fake, I think, at the end of the day. Particularly if you've done a lot of shows and you hear your favorite person, if they're faking it, you'll eventually figure that out by hearing them with hmm. your voice radar or something. So I think there's still Voice hope. radar. Now, yeah. Nancy's right. Nancy, you're, you're actually not that far off the radar because uh, there is that natural instinct that we all have when we hear somebody. Even a lot of a lot of us have that natural BS detector. We could just tell somebody's BSing us. Right. Um, I got I got that long ago, and Jesse knows this. A certain guy who works for a certain guy in Europe. Jesse, remember? Yes. You had on your show. I called BS on that a long time ago. And Jesse knows that I don't like the guy. Why are you saying certain guy? I- I'm naming names. Welcome your Okay, Mi- Michael Horn. There we go. Michael Horn. I think Just everybody went, goes through the Michael Horn initiation in which you think, <laughs> you know, I'll just totally. – I'll- Yeah, and I, I did uh, with Don and Vicky just screaming at me, mm. you know, and they, they insisted and smartly so – they wanted to write a, and it, a, a Here's the case, thing, though. You, you know. Speaking of trusting your heart, though, I mean, look, for example, we could use another name in ufology if we're naming names. Stan Romanek uh, made a big deal, you know, when he came out with the alien in the window. Everybody was talking about it. It was media coverage. A good friend of ours, Alejandro Rojas, backed him repeatedly. And, uh, you know, a lot of people backed this guy, and look where he is I didn't know now. that. Wow. So, he's yeah, to, and to piggyback on that, that's a really good point. You were talking about uh, when I started radio, I had pressure on me uh, and uh, my tongue to a certain degree. I couldn't speak, 
certain things I wanted to say, which yes, I learned rather I quickly, yep. because I was working with Tim. That was part of the problem, was because he <laughs> yep. was giving me folks and saying, "Hey, you know, you can't badmouth this guy. I'm selling his videos." And I, you know, I couldn't say that rods are ridiculous to me, or that what Jose Escamilla uh, is doing uh, made no sense to me, and I thought it was junk. You know, at the time, maybe I thought that. But the point was is that I couldn't do that. So that became difficult for me. And now just being a fan out of radio, it's a lot more fun to be a guest or to yes. be a yes. guest host because I don't yes. have that pressure anymore. And I know that when the show's over, I don't have to worry about 6,000 people harassing me um, for the mm-hmm. next month about what I said at minute 10, Mark mm-hmm. 2-7, you know? Yeah, true. true. Yeah, I'm going to get some hate mail over this Michael Horn thing. Um, probably. I doubt it. I doubt it. Just Michael Horn will, will write to you. No, I mean, no, he's I mean, the one's going to be sending me the hate mail. It's it's right. Oh, Nancy, he's gonna be. <laughs> I like Michael Horn, by the way. I actually think he's a really nice guy. Uh, yeah, but he's so full of it, Jesse. Just I you know, would bump into I, him. I would bump into him uh, because we, uh, Mike, uh, Michael lived near the old UFO magazine offices on Centinella Avenue uh, uh-huh. in Mar Vista. And so right across the street from Sentinella Avenue offices, which is where Lucille meets Sentinella Avenue, right across there was this really fabulous natural food store, this kind of fruit store. And the great part about it, this sounds awful, but the great part about it is that on a day when you weren't carrying any cash, when you just wanted to get something little, you could, they always had these samples of fruit. That were always out. You could walk in there, do a skim through, load up on a bunch of melon and leave. And I'd always see Michael Horn (laughs) shopping in that store. And it always struck me because he had a way of coming up on you without you seeing him. And suddenly, oh, he looks like he looks like a sneaky type. Yeah. Well, Bill, uh, he used to meet some Yasi there. I didn't know if you knew that. So no, I didn't. No, and I who, just made I just made that up. I just, oh. <laughs> no, I would, no, I would just see him. I mean, it would be a, it would it was a nice little story. Well, to to clarify, story. to clarify, was Michael Horn going through performing the skim, or was that just yourself? No, that was just me, and it wasn't okay. a skim. It was they had they had bowls, tubs of melon, just really sitting out there, and I think that Bill was a really lunch. This melon. I, I Bill, Bill loves his melon. into the melon. That was a lunch. My God, I mean, I grew, oh, when I was in college, when I was in college, it's and true. that's I, why I, we don't have any money to this day. Because of melons? No, because he always thought he was getting a free lunch. That they never paid him for anything. He sat in. He was the publisher in name only. He'd come into a meeting and he would come away with what he considered was a free lunch. He'd scoop up all their bagels and then he'd run across the street and get stuff. Yeah, but he never. But he never got paid money. Bagels are cool. <laughs> it's worse than. This was a magazine that was losing. I mean, I'm serious, losing ten to fifteen thousand dollars a month. Yeah, but they were paying the actors. Yeah, but they, they, they could they they could they, lose they were, an extra they, four or five thousand, give it to you. you know? But that bought, goes back to what Jesse was saying. That that goes exactly to what Jesse was saying. He's one of the few to have ever said it that the lack of money in the field does eventually force friends to turn on friends. I'm exactly. convinced of it. That's true. They're absolutely. Is no money. And and the free food thing, it all started 
so that you know <laughs> this, that's, this is not some adult thing. When I was in college, I was basically penniless. And I learned very quickly that if you joined a lot of the clubs in college, they all had these little teas and coffees with little sandwiches and cakes. <laughs> and you, and, if and you melons. Joined, and lots melons. of melons. If you joined, if you joined these clubs, you could basically eat for free. And, and that was basically how I was able to eat my way through four years of undergraduate school. It's a habit you don't lose, by the way. When okay. you're doing, when you're doing, <laughs> or when you're doing TV, you have to make sure that your favorite stuff is in, is on the honey wagon when the cart pulls up. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I can, I can just see Bill like looking at a honey wagon. Where's the Where's the beef? Where's the honey wagon? Well, best, he, he, way, let's just say he best. loves. I want being... some donuts. Yeah. No, the best was the uh, the best was race or was race to Witch Mountain, but the other one which was great was Star Trek. Because when I was doing the Star Trek book at Paramount, I'm I'm telling you, mm. from from six in the morning till ten at night. They would just roll in the food. Hmm. It's paramount. They got the bread for it. Heck yeah. Uh, yeah, but it was the same thing with that fan- with a, a fancy movie. I think it was a Disney movie, right? It was Race, Race to Witch Mountain. Mountain. Witch Mountain, I've, yeah. I've never in my life. I mean, they had levels of catering. Um, and if you were at the star level and they would let the extras, we were uh, not extras. We were, I don't know, what were we? We, were, uh, we played ourselves. Yeah, we played ourselves. We played ourselves oh, in the, the in the convention scene. We befriended, scene. but we befriended The Rock. We befriended Dwayne Johnson, who was a very sweet guy, and we got to eat with the with the big guys. Yeah, but but Whitley Strieber was there and his wife and and, and Roger I believe Lear. Roger Lear. Roger Lear was there. Yeah. In fact, you Jesse were gonna you were gonna do a movie with Roger toward the end of his life, right? I was trying to pitch a television concept through an individual that went on to do uh, some of the greatest reality show ever. Jesse, uh, you're getting a little bit closer to the mic. You're speaking very low there. Well, sorry. Um, There you go. Much better. A a guy named Eric who owns a a company that ended up doing the Amish Mafia series. Wow. Nice. uh, (laughs) the uh, Yes, and before that had worked on some of these sort of paranormal shows and such. And we had met with Roger Lear to discuss doing a program where he was going to do an extraction, a removal surgery each episode. And I remember Roger said, the show will never happen. No one's ever going to put this on television. That was actually the second episode or third episode of UFO Hunters where we actually did that that extraction on camera with this person. Yeah, that was – UFO Hunters to me was – and at that point in my life, when UFO Hunters came out, that's where I hit it, uh, hit another stage of ufology, the jaded phase. And mm-hmm. now I'm Mr. Skeptic, angry guy. And mm-hmm. when I turned on UFO Hunters, I was ready to hate it, and I was ready to say it was junk, and it was terrific. I, I craved it each week, and it's still probably since In Search Of, when I was a kid, one of the best shows 
for the genre that I love so much ever. I mean, UFO well, hunt, and there's a that's reason. That's so sweet to say. Well, well thank you sure. very much. But there's sure. a reason. No, there's a reason UFO hunters and in search of are similar. We actually, because since I was the one who set that show up originally, we modeled it after in search of. There you go. It wasn't. Uh, it 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 gripped me, and you guys hit it spot on. In fact, a guy that I looked up to for a while in the field, James Fox, who's done so many great things, but then turned around and did this horrible television show, which he went to Facebook and other places to try to defend the fact that he knew this thing was an absolute piece of garbage, and. To this day, he sort of fell off the radar for a while. Yeah, it's true. Honestly. I wondered and what happened. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, yeah, it's it's a shame. I mean, uh, 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 James really had a great idea, and the idea was, uh, the and this was in the first movie, Out of the Blue. James had this phenomenal idea that if you only spoke to witnesses, just have people tell you what they saw, and describe it. And then the art was not just in the photography, but the art was in the editing. The the art was in knowing which witnesses to cushion off which witnesses. Then if you did it that way, the impact of the testimony would be far greater. And that, I think, was the real strength of I Know What I Saw of uh, the first movie, Out of the Blue. Out of the Blue. And then the second movie, so we're all sitting – in uh, the United Kingdom, with uh, Roy Ray Boyers, the uh, the British pilot, and 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 then the French pilot, um, who had seen these objects over the uh, over over the English Channel, and um, I think um, Nick Pope was with us, and he was mulling over what to call the sequel to Out of the Blue. So I said, every witness you have. Everyone, bar none, I've never heard anything like this, says when you challenge them, well, couldn't have been a helicopter, couldn't have been lights, couldn't have been in something else, a balloon. And their stock answer was, I know what I saw. I said, so just call the movie, I know what I saw. And that's how that movie came to be. That's awesome. That's a good story. In fact, I'm going to just throw out a name. I have no affiliation with this guy. And Jackal knows I don't plug stuff very often um, because I don't have anything to plug. This guy, Jeremy Corbell. Uh, Bill, are you, Nancy, you I guys know who he is. I know who he is. Is yeah. he the He's, fellow in, who uh, d- discovered the perhaps the body up in by, next to a train where there was a UFO hit a train? No, that was somebody else. No, that's somebody else. That's Meter, Jeremy Meter, I think, yes. maybe. The, the best way to describe no. Him uh, to the audience, and, and as far as I know, is you know these folks that are saying there's no new next generation of ufology folks to take the baton and run with it, or to be able to morph it into something that's more tangible. This is one of the guys. So anyone who's saying that tonight, go look him up because he is doing some really good short films on some huh. very interesting people, and he's almost doing. And I hate to say this, but I can. He's doing these kind of really good Project Camelot style interviews, but he's doing a good job of it. And okay. and what do you so think when uh, Project Camelot sounds almost like your dream project? Um, you know, when you were talking about you had all the same people, you started out with all the same people, and so 
Um, <clears throat> have you been following the fortunes of Project Camelot? I haven't really been following it because uh, the, the few times that I have checked, there wasn't anything new. Um, that and and I, I at, there was a time where Project Camelot. The greatest thing about Project Camelot was that they were willing to go anywhere and mm -hmm. talk to anyone. You remember when they did that video with uh, Barishka, the Russian, the Russian child, kid, yeah, who the said that yes, he yes, 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 yes. That was yes. riveting, and they got to sit down with some. Great Not really. People. It's kind of boring, it, actually. You didn't like that. it. I didn't buy it. Well, you, you don't have to buy it. Yeah. I think the it, funny part about it was that w w what I liked about the early stuff in Project Camelot, I think the I think uh, the later stuff became very formulaic, but the early stuff in Project Camelot was they were willing to have all these people with these strange stories, and they just the great part was they would look. In fact, I'll tell you something. Well. They would have these people looking straight into camera, saying the most bizarre things, but they didn't comment editorially on it. Like there was no, oh, wow, that's the greatest thing in the world. This is the truth. I know it. Or, oh, wow, is that garbage? You are really a hoaxer, hoaxer. Mm -hmm. It was the person just spoke. And they simply asked the questions based on what the person was saying. So there was – that's to me what made that riveting. I mean I, I wasn't – I mean I was on it. Horso was on it. But that's what I found so fascinating in the early part of Project Camelot. I don't think you, know, you were I, ever on Camelot. I was. Really? You, you yeah, were? I was. Yeah, oh. I, yeah long – a long, back I in the 90s. I did see that. Well, I will me, say this. Me, yeah. When I say they, what they weren't doing a good job of was, again, coming back to money. Um, this this guy Jeremy Corbell is doing a high end product. Um, I I was a fan of Camelot, absolutely. Carrie well, Cassidy, how can how can folks find? That, yeah, how, I was going to say, how just, can folks find Jeremy Corbell? I found him through um, uh, reading something, but he just did a, a small uh, film about Lazar. Okay, probably okay. anyone who wants to say nothing has happened since Roswell. Again, I would remind them to try to revisit the Bob Lazar case because I still think it's one of the most riveting, probably one of the best ones to revisit if you wanted to try to make some traction. And also, it's probably one of the only stories where Stanton Friedman and I disagree. So uh, at the end of the day with the Lazar story, you have to look inside your heart to say whether or not you believe Bob Lazar. And that's going to take a lot of research on well, your Well, George Knapp definitely believes him and says – He does. Yeah. He sure does. And you know what? Uh, again, the quality of the messenger, if you sit through what this man has to say for hours and hours like I have um, and you listen to the people around him who have spent – this much time with the man over the past, what, 25, 26 years. Um, I still think there's a lot to be said for the, what he's done as far as what he did out there at Area 51. Well, the, and, most, com well, the most compelling thing about the Lazar story, from, I'll tell you, it, it wasn't about what they saw. I mean, I've seen the video. I saw the video with Gene Huff and George Knapp and Bob mm -hmm. Lazar and, and, and John Lear. And so I know that story and what they did. The compelling thing to me was that Bob Lazar never, ever wanted to go public. It, this was nope. never something that he wanted to do from the outset. He was trying to impress his wife who thought he was fooling around. That yes. was the, the ironic part of this thing. He's leaving at these odd hours. He's gone for 24 hours 
chunks of time in a day, and she's actually accusing this guy of fooling around. And he said, and he finally says to her, "Look, I will tell you what it is. I will, I will breach this confidence." And she says, "Bull." That's absolute garbage. He said, oh, really? Well, I know when they're going to fly this craft. And that's when he takes her out to the site. And what was corroborated to me was uh, we were at the site. And as we're walking up in the back entrance to Area 51, there are these microphones, these sensors in the actual foliage as you walk along the trail. And so we're not talking, we're walking. And as we're walking, you could see far in the distance, the headlights come on on the Humvees as these guys in camouflage suits basically were getting all excited. And we didn't cross the barrier. But, I mean, you could tell based on the kinds of surveillance apparatus they had, that even in the dead of night, they would know if somebody were there. And that's what happened to Bob Lazar. Well, it's a fascinating story. 26, 27 years later, the witnesses are still around. And I don't see Bob Lazar getting asked to meet with any senators or being asked to sit down with any world leaders to discuss what happened or what he went through. Um, and now like, we actually have uh, disclosure on Area 51. You know, they've said that it does indeed exist. They've and, come forward with that. And very much because of uh, not only Whitesides Mountain, which was the last remaining piece of land you could go to to actually see the base physically and and look at it you know, yourself, which you can't do any longer. Well, but not I, only the, that, the UFO hunters uh, broke so many laws and so oh, many yes. – and you know they they they're the first to have put one of those monster long range movie type things on Area 51 and they and they broadcast it. Well, it was Chickaboo Peak. It, it was uh, yeah, we had to lug this thing. It was like this indeed was like a Werner Herzog movie because we had to lug this huge piece of film apparatus up a 15 degree gravel hill. In fact, it was such a tough climb that the first aid person who we had to hire for insurance purposes, he couldn't make it up the hill. Wow. Yeah, it was one of my favorite episodes. It really was because you were sitting there, as Nancy pointed out, saying, how are they doing this? They're going to get in trouble. And that was great TV. I mean, well, the other part was, oh, the other part was sitting in the hotel room watching the Janet Airline planes take off from McCarran Airport and then running the tail numbers through the FAA database. Cool. Oh. cool. I, mean, I will say this. <laughs> I want to I mention something about George Knapp real quick, and I think it's yeah. probably a mutual frustration. But I recall going up to him after one of his side lectures that he was doing. You know how they do like a, a little – overview lecture and then they get granular if you come back and spend the extra 30 bucks right Right, sure yeah so there i was at that one and there was only about 12 of us and after his presentation i think i asked him something along the lines of okay there's thousands of people that have worked at area 51 and there's plenty of them that do manual tasks i.e plumbers or i.e custodial food service workers etc how is it that you've only been able to, as a journalist and with resources, he actually has a budget. He's one of the only people in this subject that has a budget and a machine behind him. How is it that you've only been able to talk to a, a handful, maybe less than one hand, 
of people that have said they've worked at this base. How are they keeping custodians? How are they keeping these people quiet from coming out and said, yeah, I've seen plenty of crazy stuff. You want to pay me $150,000, Star Magazine or Inquirer? I'll talk to you. And to this day, I do find that to be problematic, Bill. Uh, Nancy, do you want to elaborate on that at all? Or well, fla- uh, flashy memory wipey thing from Men of no, Black. No, 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 no. Uh, 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 <laughs> it's this. No, it's this. On the one hand, um, the security at that base. I mean, we did speak to, I forget, um, T.D. Barnes, I want to say his name is. Um, and he told the story of that. The way the base was run was that it is so completely compartmentalized that even scientists, engineers working on the same project never communicated with each other. They always worked separately in, on their own little micro teams and just never discussed their work. When they were testing something and Barnes said that they did test a lot. They would get everybody on the base into the mess hall. They would drop the shades and you'd be inside for, let's say, three hours. I mean, eating yourself up a storm inside for three hours, listening to music, eating, watching movies, whatever. Then they'd raise the stage and you'd go out. So the security was such that really you never you never, ever saw what was going on at the base. The other thing was that um, talk about being monitored by Big Brother. You were monitored 24 seven when you were on that base working. So whether I totally understand that, but fixing my issue air conditioning, uh, you were just monitored, but, but pensions and family safety would be. The yes. There's but I, I would say yeah. in six, 60 years or the base has been in existence for what? Approximately 60 years since 1955. Okay. Close enough. Uh, I guess the point is that to me, that was always problematic that, Look, people have alcohol problems. People have uh, changes in life stages that more people in that lower area uh, would come out as far as the blue-collar section. Uh, Heck, uh, look, deathbed confessions have not even come out. Why has exactly. there been yes. no deathbed confessions from ex-workers at Area 51? I always found that problematic. I still do so to this I, yeah. day. Yeah, agree. It, yeah but, if, but if let's let's say what Bill says is accurate, you're on your deathbed and all you can tell people about it is, well – they pulled the curtains down and I had Caesar salad, you know, and then we danced around a bit and then they put the curtains back up. That's not much of a deathbed thing. There were well, that's all you got to contribute and don't, you'd, yeah. You'd want people, you would think that there'd be a, a lot of people actually just right. trying to make a quick buck by saying, well, yeah, I was there. I didn't see too much, but I'll tell you what I did see. Just the well, fact that you worked there would be enough for me to get money from a publisher if I worked at a magazine to say, hey, here's a guy who's got some stuff to say he worked at Area 50. Well, yes and no. See, that, see that's where you're absolutely right. Publishers are not going to give you money for this, uh, for the UFO topic. I believe you have to be – you have to bring a finished book in if you have any chance of getting published in the UFO field. I don't think they – it's not like, um, you know um, – it's not like Rolling Stone is looking for a hot story. Nobody but, believes but these have, stories. But Area 51 has always been a crossover topic for people. Yeah. It's, it's, oh, that's, uh, it's uh, that's true. But look, at Andy, yeah, but look at Andy Jacobson's book on Area 51. I mean, there was a complete history, false, by the way. But a Well, didn't she history. say it was called Area 51 because it was created in 51? That's what she said. It was totally false. 
Um, perhaps the best expert on Area 51 is this person, Peter Merlin, who was studying um, air, um, airplane crashes around the base for years. And he and I did an episode together on some show uh, two years ago. And basically, well, we knew him because he was our guest on UFO Hunters. And, and he adamantly maintains there was no UFO technology at Area 51. Nothing. Nada. It was like well, the art and the A twelve and and the SR seventy one, things like that. Well, let me ask you this. Have either of you or uh, Angel please chime in? One of my most popular videos, and I will plug this, um, it's still to this day is an interview and it's on YouTube if you uh, go to New Guard Network. Uh, which is my YouTube channel. It is the Charles Hall and the story of the tall whites. Yes. And I don't know if, okay. It, I know like the story. Okay. Yeah. Well, that Great. video to this day is one of my most popular. And again, for the audience, if you don't know about it, the teaser is here's a guy who claims to not only have worked at area 52 and three, I believe, which I didn't know at the time existed. Um, but that there was a joint alien base that he claimed that was on Area 53 or something like that. And he had interactions with these beings and he worked at a weather station. On, well, I don't uh, know this at all. I was I was completely confusing this with the tall whites that were found walking out of a cornfield in England. I thought it was that guy. No, Where? this is a gentleman who claimed to spent years on this base. and That's what – after yeah. our – Bell, that's what I'm listening to tonight or watching. I'm Isn't telling it a, you. Yeah. It, he is a very <laughs> difficult interview, but the information you can tell just by the comments because I get bashed a lot in the comments section. Apparently, a lot of people thought I was an obnoxious uh, you-know-what. Um, but that happens on YouTube, as you know. I know, um, yeah. It, there are people that are cult-like followers, and we have to acknowledge the fact that some of these people are very entertaining and – Let's not take that away from the subject. We all came crossover via sci-fi, and we we have to hold that in regard as well. So, for instance, for me to sit down and listen to a three-hour interview with Michael Schratt, not so exciting. But for me to sit down and listen to a three-hour interview with Andrew Basaggio, true, uh, true, absolutely riveting, and he's telling you everything you want to hear, and it is it is just fun and exciting. Am I right or wrong? It is. Unfortunately, I mean, unfortunately, I mean, you're absolutely gotta, right. Yeah, you well, are. We have to acknowledge it. We have to acknowledge that listening to what Dan Burrish is up to is fun. Or that crazy guy, Jonathan Reed. Remember him? Oh, I mean, these, of course. Yeah. He, and I've had my run-ins myself with people like Ed Dames and things like that. Entertaining. So it's right. difficult as a radio host when you know somebody might be full of it. Cuckoo. To, cuckoo thank cuckoo. you. Yep. To, to be able to say, how am I going to conduct this interview mm-hmm. with shape-shifting reptilian beings that claim that uh, you know who at drank, that, you know who's put your finger, But you've also put your finger on another problem in the whole field of ufology, and that is when you look at ways to make the whole subject palatable because these people are fascinating interviews, they tell great stories, their rack on tours and their entertainers, there come the the Puritans of ufology, the UFO Taliban, that basically come down on you and say, you are promoting falsity, you're promoting hoaxes, you're promoting showmanship, you're promoting everything that but people look you at. But you often are. 
Yeah, well, you are. It's That's true. The point, yeah, yeah. That if you do this as um, some kind of a, a, um, a disseminator of information, you're going to find yourself talking to people and talking about stories that are blatantly false, but fabulously entertaining. And so you're right on the borderline of the tall fish story, right? The, the fisherman's story and some kind of version of the truth. And you're going to get this like the pillars of Samson will fall on your head. And so it is, let's be as dull as we possibly can, because in that level of dullness, there is truth. And no, that's, that's, yes. and that's what turns really, people off. It's a really good point. And the quick analogy is David da- Jacobs, as you know, who is an abduction researcher and uh, kind of was under the tutelage of uh, Bud Hopkins for years and teaches at a very famous uh, university. Or he just stopped, I believe. Well, he's retired now. He's retired. Retired guy. But he goes on Art Bell, uh, what, a month or so ago and blows Art away. Okay. Uh, It was a great show. It was, you know, Art doing his fantastic version of let's get this audience scared to death. And I'm fascinated. So good at that. So am I because Art's freaking out. Now I am. That's the kind of magnetism he has, right? Yeah. Yeah. That same guest, David Jacobs, um, goes on – I believe it's Dr. David Jacobs. Uh, he goes on the Paracast and gets ripped to shreds. He gets ripped right. to shreds. Not by the but, – but, but, but was he but ripped to shreds? No, not for that story. I mean he was ripped to shreds for a whole other reason. Tell us no, why no, he no. was ripped to shreds. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. The big controversy with David Jacobs really, at least in my opinion – has nothing to do with alien, with a reptilian hybrids because he's been talking about reptilian hybrids ever since Noah landed the ark. It is, <laughs> it is uh, uh, no, oh, it's true. That was his first book, The Threat at Simon and Schuster, which which I did bought, very yeah. well. But yeah. the, the the problem was that David and I've spoken to David a few times about this. I mean, we're no longer friends, or we never were friends, really. But ufology. <laughs> but but the issue was that he was dealing and Bud Hopkins was the same way. They were their research methods were such that they would precondition the people they were dealing with through hypnosis in these kind of group sessions, in these informal chats, then having been preconditioned, the person would actually reveal the story that the purpose of a hypnotic regression was designed to reveal. And that's just, the, that's just the easy stuff. The more serious stuff is that um, it, if you go to Emma Wood's website, and I forget the name of the website, Nancy can post it, I just forget it. But I it, believe but, it's ufoabductee.com. UFO, okay, if you go to that website, what you will see, uh, what you will see are the transcripts, and you'll be able to hear the tapes that she made of her regression sessions with David Jacobs. And they are startling because that's the truth. Those sessions are the actual records of what's really going on. And what's going on is you hear this person telling Emma Woods, not her real name. You hear this person telling Emma Woods, well, you have multiple personality disorder. And um, the reason you have that, he tells her later on, is that um, 
you have to throw the reptilian aliens off who are monitoring your mind. And I mean, so just on the surface, the aliens are monitoring your thoughts. So I will tell you over the phone that we're concocting a story together that you have multiple personality disorder to throw the aliens off, to throw the reptilians off. I mean, just on the surface, that's ludicrous. And, and, and then telling her, oh, I want you to save your underpants for me in case you have sex with the alien. I mean, it, it just goes on and on. And, and what bothered me was where does somebody who was not a medical doctor, who was not a clinical hypnotherapist, who was not a psychotherapist, who's not a psychologist, who has no degree in psychiatry, where does that person come off telling somebody else under hypnosis that you've got multiple personality disorder? Oh, it's a great point, and it's, it was well said to the, the, the controversy. Keep in mind, when I said the Paracast ripped him to shreds, you're right. It was the audience of the Paracast that ripped him to shreds. Not, exactly. Not sure. Gene and Chris. Sure. Um, no, Gene and I'll, Chris wouldn't do that. I mean, Gene is not going to. No. Uh, Gene actually likes David Jacobs. Oh yes, but he was not. He was not floored the way that Art was floored. Art put on a performance that that evening. It was a performance because David Jacobs has been around since 1997, 1998 with this story. So here's a guy who's been around for 20 years telling the exact same story. But so I guess I, the, that's the, that. There is the issue that we were getting back to, which is that. Do you want to be entertained or do you want to try to move the needle to a certain degree in this subject? And can you have both? You can, but it's hard to distinguish. Oh, that's you right. start to blur the lines. And that's I like right. both. I guess that's my problem, which is where I stand in the middle of this thing because there are people doing it right, in my opinion, doing, doing it well. There's a place that nobody wants to go to, which we might not get to talk to tonight. And that's very interesting too. Which well, what place? What place is that? Well, is it's a million dollar question? I think is how. What are you willing to do? Almost in the William Wallace type vein. What are you willing to do for your freedom? What are you willing to do for a cause? What? How important is the truth of the UFOs and the aliens and the agenda? Mm -hmm. How important is that to you? What are you willing to sacrifice? as an American, as a person outside the Americas, um, to move the needle. That, that is a whole nother subject, I think, Nancy. And I mm -hmm. have really specific information on how I think you can, but I don't think many people would want to go there. And I think you'd be thrown into a very bad place as far as lists and places where your name is going to be attached to. And we talk about Snowden. I, I heard you guys mentioning him before mm -hmm. I was on, when I was listening. And the problem with Snowden, to a large degree, I, I agree with Bill, but the other problem was is that nobody really cares. It's a That's very right. small minority of people who really nobody get actually, crap. First of all, first of all, if uh, and this, again, go back 30 years, 40 years. You look at your long-distance telephone bill and what's on it, every single phone number you called. I mean, every month you'd, you'd get your Verizon bill, your AT&T bill, your Bell telephone bill, and there are all your phone calls. So the fact is, ever since the telephone and computers, people have been keeping records of the phone calls you make. And police for 50 years have always been able to go to court 
get your phone records. Maybe they couldn't tape your, tap your um, conversations, but get your phone records and they would know who you spoke to. So just in the area of keeping tabs on your phone calls, none of that is new information. And if you look at your cell phone bill, you look at your in- – I mean these are records that are wide open. Anybody can trace where you've been. The I have issue- to say, Bill, I really don't care if anybody reads my emails. No, I neither do I. I mean, the, I mean the fact is – Me neither. A standard rap. Well, you're supposed to write them as if they're going to be read out loud. Absolutely. Oh, okay. That's the whole point. Never put anything on your computer or in writing unless you want that to be read by a federal judge. It's Correct. that simple. Yep. Yes. That's so simple. Here's the here lays the problem with Snowden. The the man tried to do something extraordinary. And we got five minutes to do it. Go ahead. Got and, it. And and now he lives in Russia and no one could care less. And same mm-hmm. thing with Bradley Manning and a whole bunch of these folks. And you saw it go down with Occupy. This is a different era. It's going to take a different coordination of people anonymous is not a real group i don't believe uh i don't i believe it's an offshoot of uh dark web folks 4chan folks and some other folks that like to just meddle yeah um, but it, it could come together for a certain cause and the he, problem you know, with all in, these in a groups, twinkling all these groups have the same problem usually i've noticed when i was covering occupy here in oregon in Portland, is that they have no leader, and that's one of their credos, mm-hmm. and to not have a leader. Well, that's how everything has changed throughout history is that we came around a leader. For instance, mm-hmm. why are we here talking tonight? Because of Art Bell. Mm-hmm. Because he changed me way back, just like he mm-hmm. changed everybody else, and we mm-hmm. owe him that yep. kind of respect. And to say that is that, yeah, this mm-hmm. guy had a real effect on my life, and I'm not just a a crazy groupie. I mean, he still does. I still listen to the show 20, 30 years later. It's huge. But how do we move forward with this subject by not just doing rehash? That's difficult because you we have, have to, to go. No, the store, I will tell you this. I will tell you this because I know witnesses and I know people and I, 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 I do do my own research. I can tell you that, and I hate to sound trite, but the truth really is out there. It really is very apparent there are places on this planet where you can find that UFO, whether it's in Eastern Europe, whether it's in South America, whether it's right here in Pennsylvania. They absolutely exist, and there is no trick to them. You have to listen to people. You have to watch you have to use your own discernment, and a lot of it is just plain dumb luck. You've got to be there when the stupid thing lands. And another thing to bring up that's very important uh, to the audience out there listening is there is a reason. There's a reason, and this bothered me for years. I lived in Southern California. So did Bill and Nancy Burns. We were less than 50 miles from a grid of underground installations covering the entire Mojave Desert and beyond. That's correct. No access to these places. Can you imagine cities underneath our city? And that's Mm -hmm. what we're dealing with here, Joe Public. We are never allowed to see them. We have paid for them. So that's one thing to keep in mind when you're thinking about how could this be something that's actually true. Another thing to keep in mind is think about why 
and there's plenty of answers. We don't have time tonight. Think about why guys like Spielberg and mm -hmm. um, some of the yep. major computer guys Lucas. outside. It wasn't until Bob Bigelow, who nobody mm. knew really, dumped some money into ufology. All these guys are afraid. Now, folks, think about that when you go to sleep tonight or when you're pondering this stuff. Why these guys like Gates and Spielberg and you name it um, are absolutely afraid of this subject. They won't go near it with any amount of money. They won't. Okay, go here's near a quick. Here's a quick story. First of all, they are. Uh, they all know it's true and not true. But uh, twenty seconds. In twenty seconds, and then it's a hard out. Um, we're driving back from Kelso, and we wanted to film in a B-25 Mitchell bomber because that was what crashed at Kelso, Washington. And so we're driving back, and uh, I place a call to the folks at Boeing. Um, and I'm saying, look, we, we, we want to film inside a B-52, uh, a B-25 Mitchell bomber. Um, I know you've got one. Uh, can we use it? And this person from public relations says, why are you, do you want to film? We says, well, we're shooting an episode of UFO Hunters. The, my ears almost burned off. You stay far away from Boeing. Don't you come near us with a UFO. We don't want to know from your show and UFOs click. Now, that kind of reaction tells you something, and we are now yep. out of time. Out so of time. I want to uh, invite all folks to stay tuned for Art Bell. Don't know who his guest is, but stay tuned for Art Bell's Midnight in the Desert coming up right after this. His I guest will, he, he's, Jill he's got Jill Heinrich. 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 Oh, Jill Heinrich. And yep. I want and I and, and I, you can find Jesse by going to futuretheater.com. All the links are there, and if they change, I will – Hunt Jesse down and change them. <laughs> so you can always dog. find him. Thank, thank Take you, us out, Bill. We thank are you your both. I enjoyed Bill. it. Thank, thank you, Jesse. We are your co-host, Bill and Nancy Burns, on Future Theatre Live, saying good night, and we will see you next week talking about artificial intelligence. <laughs>